All right. And welcome back to the podcast, Everything You Never Needed to Know About Movies, Music, and Theater, the podcast that never ends. I am your host, Matt Garland. And once again, I'm, I love the fact that people want to come on this. Um, and this particular uh, uh, woman, who's also a friend, a very good friend, um, is sending me all kinds of requests, and I love it. Um, I'd love it if it's not just her sending me requests and suggestions, but she has sent me a ton and I love it and I, I'm, I'm loving it and I'm taking them all. I'm just trying to figure out which ones we do next. But this one today we'll talk about, the subject we're talking about today is going to be particularly interesting for both of us, um, but we'll get to that. But first, let me introduce my friend, Jackie, how you doing? Hi, Matt. I'm doing very well. So Jackie is now has the record of, the, of three times appearing on this podcast. No one else has done that yet. <laughs> really glad to be here. Um, glad you were willing to do this topic. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to that yeah. in a minute. Thanks for but, indulging uh, me. <laughs> oh, hey, <laughs> it's more content. And, you know, uh, again, the subjects we end up talking about tend to be the more, most listened ones. So, you know what you want to talk about does reach reach a lot of people and I think it's worth talking about anyway. So, but before we get to all that, a little um, catching up, um, y'all had a very uh, fun event that happened this past um, uh, Friday, uh, the Profit Project, which we've been plugging for a while. Um, how did that go? How was, how was everything? It was great. Um, I think we had like, 80 people at the live event, um, which is pretty good. And then more have been able to see it, uh, like the recording. And then we, so we, what we did was we showed the record and then we had a Q&A session virtually with the cast, including myself. And people sent in questions either through the YouTube live stream or through our email. And they sent in really good ones. So we had a good discussion afterwards. And that all is still available on YouTube, both the show and the Q&A, um, and be up until October 3rd. Yeah, and that's on the uh, Still Small Theater YouTube page, yes? Correct. Okay, just want to make sure. But yes, Profit Project, I was there watching it live um, with everyone. I. It was a little late by the time it was over to stay for the Q&A, but I listened to a little bit of the Q&A, but um, the show is quite something. It really is. It, it was so good um, and I hadn't seen it. So this is one show I had not, I was not involved with or even heard of by the time um, Jasmine had talked about it on the episode that I interviewed her for. And it was amazing. It was so incredibly beautiful and um, very much like a tapestry um, and uh, a beautiful portrait painting that was being put together. And there was a lot of care and a lot of effort. And, uh, you know, um, you know, I got to say, you know, I obviously I enjoyed everyone's performance. I always enjoy uh, uh, Kenny and Max and uh, Amelia every time I see them perform. But Jackie, you nailed it. You hit it out of the park. It was so much, it was so great to see, see you do that. So. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was uh, really good. So please anyone 
watch it. It's worth watching, even just even if you don't know the history of it or you know really the story, the acting, the performing, everything is just so um, beautiful and amazing. And and you know, Jackie will bring you to tears. That's that's how sometimes it happens. You know. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Um, I think Max also helped with that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so many people, so much heartbreak in that. Um, yeah. It's a beautiful story. And so fun fact, while we were rehearsing that last summer, um, ago, that was when I was playing a certain musical soundtrack nonstop in my, <laughs> on my way to and from rehearsals. So, so that, so what we're talking so, about. <laughs> yeah. So that had this, obviously all this comes at the same time as anything that's happening. Yeah. <laughs> but um, congratulations, Jackie. Congratulations to the rest of Still Small. Uh, I know Jasmine uh, put a lot of work into it, especially with the live event and the Q&A. Um, like I said, I was there for some of the Q&A and it was genuinely very positive, very, um, you know, I, I hate to say cri uh, a, a critically acclaimed, but it was very well received from the people who were watching. And you're right, the questions I did see coming in in preparation, um, we're all intelligent and we're all, it wasn't just, obviously there were questions about the performance and how you felt and all that kind of stuff, but even questions about the material. And those are the great questions that, you know, when I got to do um, how, I, uh, how I Met Our Father and uh, Perpetua, those are the questions I love, getting into talking about the material and, you know, the backstories and all that. Those are, those, that's the fun part for me, so. Um, so, but congratulations, Jackie. It was a great, great, um, no, I was just saying it was a great night, great, great evening, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, definitely worth checking out until October 3rd on the Still Small Theater um, YouTube channel. So it's worth it. But um, with that, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get to our subject? No. Okay, well. Mm -hmm. Chugga 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 chugga. Once upon a time, there was a railroad chain. So, if you hadn't figured out before, then I actually planned that. By the way, I actually was trying to get the the notes right. So, for those who don't know yet or haven't figured out what we're talking about, we are talking about Hades Town tonight. Now. I'm going to preface this with uh, two things. First of all, Jackie is here because Jackie suggested it. Um, and uh, I, 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 I'm not going to speak for yourself, but it seems like you really, really love this musical. Yes. <laughs> and I'm relatively new to it. In fact, in the last two weeks, I have discovered um, Hadestown. Um, well, that's not true. Jackie suggested it a couple months back for me to listen to it. And I will save my opinions for what I thought and what I still think later, but we are going to be talking about Hadestown. We're going to get into the nitty gritty stuff. We're going to talk about a little bit of the background of the Greek tragedy and the, and the Greek history that comes into it, as well as the musical style, how that interweaves into everything. And Jackie had a great point about this, that all the times we talk about musicals, whether it's Jackie or I, or Amelia and I, or, or uh, uh, Carson and I, I always talk about the musical is solving a musical problem. In this show, 
it is literally solving a musical problem <laughs> to get spring to come back. So it's, it's quite amazing. Um, uh, Jackie, what are your initial um, thoughts? What do you, uh, uh, about Hades Town? What, uh, you can talk about why you, why you love this musical so much. Um, gosh, where do I start? Had you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. Okay. I am hoping that it will come to Boston and that I'll be able to bring my little brother to see it because he's really interested in mythology and he also likes the musicals that I sort of introduce him to. <laughs> he knows, like, he knows the titular song, like, way down Hades Town. Um, and he's like, but he can write recognize the names and some of the stories from Greek myths. Nice. I'm hopeful for the future, but uh, no, I just, I listened to the soundtrack, I guess it was over a year ago. Um, I think Amelia recommended it to me, actually. She and I are always uh, swapping things for each other to listen to or to read or to watch. Um, and yeah, um, I just, I loved the music. I loved the story. Uh, so many of the songs have such great energy and such great messages. Um, it, I, I've noticed that a lot of my favorite musicals are about uh, revolution or social change, and this is one of them. Uh, it definitely fits in with uh, kind of like, well, lots of others <laughs> to me. Yeah. Um, it's also, a love story and it has some love songs and I'm kind of a hopeless romantic. I don't know <laughs> yet. Um, but like it, in a mature kind of way, like it's actually like it shows these couples working through problems and uh, like the young couple, especially they start out very innocent and a little naive, but then they end up with a better understanding of how love actually works in a healthy relationship. Um, yeah. it's beautiful symbolism. Uh, there, there, it's such a rich story. Um, and it's also kind of meta because it's about someone who is a storyteller and an artist. And so that resonates with me um, as a writer and a singer. Uh, yeah, I can relate to definitely more than one character, actually. There's several. Um, so yeah, there there are a lot of different aspects of the show that I love. Yeah, it's it's definitely it takes a lot of the mythology and it interweaves within the lyrics, within the music, um, its story very very well, um, and it does also keep keep it, it's a good adaptation a lot of times people take adaptations myself included because i have excuse me uh i wrote a one-act play about hades and persephone but i took i took a loose exaggeration of it and it was it, it, it wasn't good i'll tell you that um <laughs> and so you know so coming to this show i i knew nothing about most of this i read a little bit of hades and persephone but i knew nothing about all this. So it was very interesting to hear, you know, I don't even want to call it modern, modern lyrics and modern music, but very, cause it's, it's, so we'll get into the types of music, but it, it comes from a very interesting perspective, especially from um, the writer. 
Um, so I was having some trouble saying her name. Remind me how to say her name again. I think it's Anais. Anais Mitchell. Okay. So I guess to start off with everything, Anais Mitchell um, is from Vermont and um, she's a singer songwriter. She's actually been writing songs pretty much since she was 17. Um, I've listened to a lot of them. She comes definitely from an indie folk rock background and she'd started writing this show back in 2006 and she had no idea kind of and I've read, I've heard, I've, she said this in interviews too, that she had no idea. Broadway was never an idea. It was more just, she was, wanted to write, tell this story, write this, these songs and um, unsure of what was going on. She actually, it began as a concept album. So um, in the past, sometimes that happens. Um, Jesus Christ Superstar, Joseph at the Music Technical, Dreamcoat, Evita, Chess, those all those shows began as concept albums because they didn't know if they would ever make it to the stage. So Anais did a, a, a concept album called Hadestown. And then um, it started building momentum and it actually found itself at the New York Theater Workshop, which for anyone who's listened to the podcast before is where Rent um, first was born, um, where Jonathan Larson brought brought that show at which point she then met the director um and i can't really say her name rachel uh chavin i think i think it is you can uh tell me if i'm wrong jackie because i'm terrible with names I don't know. um <laughs> but that was when they started to develop it in 2016 um on stage with a it's a strip there are a couple videos online but it's a stripped down version um, it's a little different than the version that you'd ultimately see. And then from there, the producer, it sold out and people were buzzing about this show. So they, the producer said, we want to do Broadway. So they remounted everything for the Broadway show. So there's all, almost three different versions of this show that they worked on. The original concept album, the um, New York Theater Workshop version, which does have an album as well, which we'll talk about. Uh, in a little bit, and then the Broadway version. Um, and each time it has been critically acclaimed and people have loved it just because the story is so, so strong. So before we go any further, before we start talking about the music and the show itself, um, and you know it better than I do, so I'd rather you kind of give us a summary or a synopsis of the plot of the show or what, what the show is about. Sure. So the play, the story is based on two Greek myths and they're intertwined in this story. So, and each story is about a different couple. Um, so one of them is Hades and Persephone. Um, I think, think that's pretty well known. And then there's Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, and Hades and Persephone do play a role in the other couple's story, like it, mm -hmm. the original myth. Um, uh, so it's, spoilers are a little weird for this because if you know the myth, then you know how the story ends. Yeah. Uh, and also in the first song of, uh, of this show, like it is stated that this is a love story, it's an ancient story, and it's a tragedy. So you know it's gonna be sad at the end. Yeah, it's not gonna end well. Uh, so, but the interesting thing is that 
It doesn't take place in ancient Greece or even the ancient world. It's set in a very American Great Depression area, era, kind of apocalypse uh, setting. Um, and the narrator actually says, like, don't ask where or when this was. Just like, just picture um, it. They, he says that it takes place on the road to hell. Yeah. And I don't know if this was the original intent, but in the Broadway version, at least, the staging is made to look like it's taking place in a bar or a restaurant. Yeah. Um, and it's almost as if these people on stage are consciously like acting out this story. Um, like they, there's a bit of breaking the fourth wall, uh, not just, well, I guess just for the narrator. Um, so the narrator is Hermes, the me messenger god. Um, they have the three fates who are backup singers and uh, they chime in for many of the songs and they kind of symbolize like just the circumstances working against the characters. Then there's Hades and Persephone, um, the god of the underworld and she's the goddess of spring. Um, and like in the myth, uh, she, uh, her coming and going between Earth and the underworld is what causes the seasons, mm -hmm. um, which actually makes this kind of providential. We just had the first day of fall uh, a couple of days ago. Um, complete coincidence timing. But <laughs> then, uh, or was it? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe it was God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then Orpheus and Eurydice are two mortal just regular people. Um, Orpheus is a singer uh, and he's a poet. He is trying to write a song that will put the seasons back in balance because it, the situation that they talk about at the beginning is uh, there is no spring or fall anymore. The seasons are, the weather is very extreme. It's either really hot or really cold. So it's basically just summer or winter. Yeah. Um, and we come to find out that is because of problems that Hades and Persephone are having in their relationship. Um, it's, and it drives him to, it, there's a lot going on with them. It's a little hard <laughs> to, um, and yeah, that's, that's okay. uh, which is what makes it so interesting. Like, there are so, there's so much to the dynamics of these two couples and to the way they interact with each other. So Eurydice um, is kind of a hobo <laughs> at the beginning. Um, but she's a very independent, very spunky. Um, and she d like just pat goes from one place to another whenever the weather changes. Um, she doesn't put down roots until she meets Orpheus who falls in love with her right away. And he ends up charming her with his music and his idealism. Um, and also Persephone comes for the summer and she brings with her like everything, all the food is growing, wine is flowing. Um, and so just because times are good, Eurydice decides to stay. But then when Persephone has to go back to the underworld, which is called Hades Town, um, that's when uh, times get hard and Orpheus is too busy working on his song and thinking about the big picture problems he doesn't pay attention to their immediate problems 
like food and how to stay warm. Uh, yeah. That's that all falls on Eurydice. And so uh, Eurydice decides to accept an offer from Hades to go to Hades town and work for him. Uh, and then the rest of the story is Orpheus uh, trying to get her back because what she doesn't understand is that it's, base, it's not what she thinks. Um, and this is why it's very symbolic. Like in the story, Eurydice literally dies um, and Orpheus travels to the underworld hoping that he can bargain with Hades and Persephone and bring her back to the land of the living. In this, it's more about physical locations, but it's a very, it's a symbolic death. Uh, Hades town is basically like a factory town. It's kind of like Charles Dickens as far as like, it kills your soul to work there. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, um, and Orpheus does have to figure out how, like how to use his music and his storytelling and also how to mend the relationship between Hades and Persephone, because that's what will bring spring back. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that, and that makes sense. Uh, a lot of what I got in terms of the, um, so we'll talk about the Broadway version first, um, in that it is like a steel time. It made me think of like, I don't know if you've ever seen October Sky or the steel towns that came out of Pennsylvania or Virginia, um, mm -hmm. very much in that, in that realm of, you know, because it says it takes place in a depression era, post-apocalyptic time. And it feels that way, especially with the music and how things are, are, are seeming within, within everything. Um, and, and what's interesting is the Broadway version. And, and uh, this is why we'll get into my thoughts on it but the broader version the music sounds to me more akin to new orleans as opposed yes. to yes. the the other two versions that so the original um concept album and even the first live version in the new york theater workshop to me is that it was born out of folk rock and indie folk rock and very much in the that line of style and that it changed for the Broadway version into more of New Orleans type of music. And I hate to call it swing, but definitely a good amount of uh, syncopation. And, you know, I mean, the trumpets and the horns sound to me so New Orleans-y type of thing. So it's a weird yeah. kind of New Orleans mixed with uh, steel town of Pennsylvania or like, you know, like Allentown or something, and then mm -hmm. mix it with post-future apocalyptic world kind of pinning everything together. So the Broadway version is, is definitely, and I know both Rachel and Anais have said it, that it's the culmination, that it's the version they never thought they would do, but that they could do. And I have watched the Tony performance as well as a illegal uh, bootleg copy on, on online and the, the Mayhem as well. Shh. <laughs> um, shh. I can't find them. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the production value is quite different compared to that of the New York theater workshop and, you know, 
the lighting, the sets, everything kind of pulls together and, and it creates the atmosphere. And it's very much because Rachel also did um, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. So there, it's very environmental um, set design. And so you feel like you're in the world as opposed to dispelling your, dis, dispelling your belief in watching it. And I think the New Orleans also comes into the fact that, you know, so the cast that, you, that we have in the Broadway version is, is quite a good, very good cast. Um, again, I'll talk about my opinions later, but the cast has its credentials. Um, you have Reeve Carney playing Orpheus. Um, Evaya Nobazada. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know how to say names. So, uh, what's her name, Jackie? Eva Nobozada. Nobozada playing uh, Eurydice. Uh, Patrick Page, for those who don't know, it, beautiful, beautiful baritone this man has, um, playing Hades. Uh, Amber Gray playing Persephone, and then um, a seventy-year-old Andre de Shields playing uh, Hermes, and then uh, um, on the Broadway. Uh, three multicultural, multi-faceted uh, people um, playing the fate. So you got a really great cast. And then obviously there's a bit of ensemble um, with uh, additional cast members and what have you. Um, but that initial, uh, the, the main vocalist, I guess you can call it, um, great cast, great, great, great cast. Um, and I know we have differing opinions on this, but uh, but you enjoy you enjoy the uh, the vocalists and the and the there's the singing abilities of the of the original Broadway cast. Yes. Yes. It, mm. that's partly because the Broadway version was the first one that I listened to, so it there yeah. is that I got used to first. But I think they all sound wonderful. Yeah, they all definitely have the the voices. So like I, I'm not going to say anything against that. They, um, you know, they all sing it very very well and you know and they seem to inhabit their characters mm -hmm. very very well indeed um so um as we get into the music i'm going to ask the question that annoys everyone who comes on this show jackie my friend and and great acting uh comrade and colleague what's your favorite song i have i'm going to say can I name a few? You can um, name as many as you want. You can name the whole soundtrack yes. if you want. <laughs> so I think there are four. Okay. Uh, although I also, there's so many that I love, but um, uh, Chant Reprise, um, which I love the different versions of it, actually. Um, each one has great lyrics. Um, Wait For Me and It's Reprise. Mm -hmm. um, and then there are two songs that parallel each other very well. You know, they're not, they're not direct reprises. Mm -hmm. um, uh, wedding Song and Promises. Yes. Um, those two songs together show how much Orpheus and Eurydice grow in their relationship. Um, yeah. They're both very romantic songs, but the first one, like I said, is very, um, like, youthful. It's about, uh, like, looking forward. They're both about looking forward to the future, but yeah. Promises is more about how um, like all those things that we said we were gonna do for each other and have uh, like it's not gonna work that way. Things won't always go well for us, but we promise to be there for each other this time uh, and to 
endure the good and the bad together. Yeah, um, Wedding Song, um, you know, they preface every line with, they call each other lover as yeah. opposed to something else. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a cheeky way some people talk, you know, oh, lover, tell me what you want and all this stuff. <laughs> uh, so it's very cheeky, but then you get to promises and it's, it's definitely yeah. much more heartfelt. They've both been literally to hell and back. And so <laughs> they have a little bit more of uh, world weary on it. Um, no, those are good songs. My, my, oh, go ahead. You were going to say something. I'm sorry. Did you notice that Hades also says lover and that kind of rhythm is used in chant? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he, 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 he said he calls uh, uh, Persephone, Persephone lover, yeah. uh, lover a good amount. Yeah, so a lot of the language is repeated. And as a writer, mm -hmm. me personally, I, I love that because it mm -hmm. then, it doesn't, it's not, each character talks differently and they're supposed to talk differently. But there are certain words that are used by the same lover, same lover, excuse me, by mm -hmm. the same people in the same way to point out that they all are intertwining and it's not just four disparate people that they all intertwine within each other and they all are mirror images of each other in a lot of different circumstances um, yeah. in a way. Um, so I have a couple of favorite songs myself. I do love Wedding Song. Um, I love that, <sighs> maybe it's because I'm not that great in terms of a, as a composer myself, um, but I love the little interludes in between the choruses and things during during the wedding song that rising and falling, the dun, 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 you know, uh, in the piano bit in the violin. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I, I want to learn the violin for that. It's so pretty. Hey, you can talk to my wife. She's taken. She's taken. Yes. She's taken students. Yes, we will talk about it. Um, um, I do love. All I've Ever Known. It's, it really is a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, I actually love Little Songbird. I love that song. And maybe because I come out of folk and I love Tom Waits and it's such a Tom Waitsy song, especially the way they have Patrick Page singing it, you know, hey, Little Songbird, you know, doing the deep voice and all that. It's so creepy, but so awesome. Um, I love Flowers. Um, I do, however, like the version that uh, uh, Anais sings more than the version that's in the in the show. But I do love the song "Flowers," um, and I love "Road to Hell." But I love the reprise, the finale. Mm -hmm. It's so good, and it's one thing as we get more into that the Broadway version is much better in terms of the fullness and also the idea um, in terms of comparison that in the finale in um, um, the Broadway version, Hermes is in a very difficult position that he's that he has to perform. But somehow, and maybe it's just the way it's orchestrated and the way that it rises, it there's a little bit of hopefulness each time, and I and I I, I think I like that even better than just the the sadness that goes into the tragedy of it all. Um, um, and I, I will say, and uh, Anais has been very clear that she wrote this particular song before in 2006. So it was not a, a, a response, 
Why We Build the Wall is, is one of my favorite songs. And, it, and again, it comes from, um, and we can get into like the influences that seem to be in there. It definitely comes from a little bit of a Tom Reedy um, response. Um, for those who, and I will talk about Tom Waits in this, in um, another episode in the future, but he, his is very old school folk rock kind of thing. And Anais has said her influences do include Bob Dylan, Tom Waits, and Leonard, Leonard Cohen. And you can hear all that in a lot of the music. Um, um, but, you know, so with our favorite songs out of the way, I would like to talk about the differences <laughs> because, and this will be where Jackie and I are on different pages. And that's totally fine. We, everyone has their own opinion. I don't want people to think that when they come on my show that they have to agree with me. I prefer if people disagree with me. I really do. Um, Makes it more interesting. It does. It, exactly. If, if we sit there and we're like, oh, this is so great. Okay. All right. It's a boring episode. And so far, Jackie, you and I haven't disagreed with much. So this will <laughs> be where, where we, where two roads divide. Uh, um, I don't like. Oh, and You're slowing down a bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I, I'm slowing down a little bit. Sorry, testing. Matt. Testing, 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 testing. I, I can hear you now. Okay, good. Okay, we'll just, we'll just cut that out, that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, all right, so we are gonna get into the different versions. Mm -hmm. The first version I heard was the Broadway version, like uh, uh, Jackie as well. And within the first hearing, I did not like it. Um, I listened to, I think I listened to all the way to the end of way down in Town, And I was just like, this is not for me. I don't like this. I really don't like this. And I like kind of had it in the background while I was working. So I just listened to it, but then I just kind of was like dismissed it. And I was like, eh, it's not my thing. People like it, but I don't like it. There are plenty of people out there who don't like Hamilton. So it, it is what it is. Um, and so then Jackie, uh, a couple of weeks ago said, you should talk about Town." And I said, well, I don't, I don't like the songs. And she said, well, Listen to it again and see if you, you think, think differently. And I started researching and I realized how many versions out there there were of Hades Town. So I said, I'm going to do what I should have done initially. I'm going to go from the beginning, the first concept album, then go to the uh, New York Theater Workshop and then go to Broadway and compare all three of them. And what I found is I love the concept album. The concept album is brilliant. I think it's some of the best folk rock I've ever heard in my life and inspired me personally as a folk rock uh, musician myself. Um, the version of New York Theatre Workshop is amazing and it's not complete unfortunately. I'd love to hear the complete version but the way they did it in that small space and I saw a video of some of the songs, the wedding song and Road to Hell um, is brilliant. I loved it. I love those versions. I still don't like the Broadway version. To me, it feels overproduced. It feels like there's too much, too much instrument, instrumentation, too much going on. It takes, it, it, it doesn't stick with the, and this is fine, you know, composers change their style depending on where the show's going. And, they, and you know, uh, Annis is obviously very proud of the show and it's, you know, been critically acclaimed. So I can't say anything against it, but I just prefer the folk rock atmosphere of it as opposed to it sounding like 
New Orleans, um, you know, the um, the New Orleans quarter um, that it has right now. Um, there's still stuff I like about it. I love Patrick Page. Amber Gray is amazing. Mm-hmm. But I don't like Reeve Carney's singing. Um, to me, it's too poppy. It sounds, and maybe it's because I first heard him singing uh, YouTube songs with Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark, which I will talk about. Um, so I may have baggage in my head that I can't get out, but I just don't like his singing. It's too, it's not, it's not, I know they describe in the show that um, his character is very, very much a boy at the beginning and then he turns into a man later, but it's just too much, it's too falsetto it's too thin at the top. It, it doesn't do anything for me. It, to me, it should have a fuller sound. I don't care for Avaya. Eva. Eva. Um, Eva, thank you. (laughs) Eva, I don't care for Eva's voice. It's too, again, too poppy, too... I know what she's trying to do, but I just don't like it. And I don't like Andre DeShield. Come at me, I don't care. I prefer... Chris Sullivan. The minute I heard Chris Sullivan's voice singing it, and it's not because he's from Guardians of the Galaxy playing Taserface. He does play Taser. Yeah, in Guardians of the Galaxy, he plays Taserface, who does the the mutiny against um, Yondu in the second in the volume two. He is Taserface. Wow. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's the, the two the the New York version is so much more my style and I love the stripped down versions of a lot of musicals. This particularly because it seems like that is closest to what the original vision might have been before it became too overstaged and too overdone. Um, So I prefer those two recordings and I prefer the, I, again, I prefer Chris Sullivan over Andre the Shields. To me, Andre the Shields, it, 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 he, gives it the New Orleans style because of how his method of singing and it sounds more gospel-y to me versus folk rock. Um, but I just don't like his voice. I never have. Um, and he's a wonderful performer. I've listened to him, unfortunately, in The Full Monty too and Ain't Misbehaving and other cast recordings, but I just don't like his voice. Um, the one song that he does really good is Road, uh, Road to Hell, the, the reprise, the very finale. He he brings it and it's perfect. That's the only song I can listen to and not be like, this is ridiculous. Um, so that's, it's just my opinion. Um, and now Jackie's going to, going to voice her opinion on, on, on it. So I know you prefer the Broadway, Broadway recording versus the other recordings. In general, yes. Um, so when you started listening to the different versions, I tried to do the same over the past few days. Um, I realized I hadn't listened to all of the songs from the two versions. Um, it's been confusing finding the right songs like on YouTube. Uh, I wasn't able to find like a full playlist at first. So um, I actually really liked how in the concept album, Wait For Me is much more gentle, yes. um, understated. Um, like I love, how it's like big and energetic and building up uh, in the show in, in the Broadway version. But I also liked how it was like softer. Like I could sing that to a baby. 
uh, it's like, or, um, and there are interesting changes with the lyrics between each version. Um, them really like add more to certain characters or certain aspects of the story or the symbolism. Um, so that's very interesting to listen to, especially for uh, chant reprise. Um, yes. That's a lot. Uh, and each one has like great, great lyrics for the uh, the workers, especially like the ensemble of Hades Town uh, employees. Um, I have no complaints about the singers. Um, I think Reeve Carney's very high voice is a perfect contrast with Patrick Page's because they're representing like the celestial and the underworld. Um, like Patrick Page's voice is perfect for Hades because it is low and they're going down to Hades town. Um, <laughs> it's, and it's very, he can be very menacing with it. Um, Orpheus, like we, you said, he is young. Uh, he is learning how to grow up and uh, he's also facing his greatest fears <laughs> over the course of this story. Um, so he is learning how to toughen up and an adult. Um, and maybe it's because I'm a woman. Uh, the fact that his voice is so high means that I can sing his songs quite comfortably. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, maybe I don't mind it, him sounding a little soprano-ish. <laughs> it's up there. It's very up there. <laughs> Um, yeah, I know, and I know, I know th that there are preferences, and I know people, there you know, definitely big preferences, the fact that um, Andre DeShield won a Tony for playing Hermes, so there's something to be said about yeah. his performance. Um, the other thing about Hermes in terms of the difference between what it seemed, because I, again, I'm going by the vocals, there were a couple videos of Chris Sullivan playing Hermes versus Andre DeShield playing uh, Hermes, but Andre DeShield looks, he's definitely more dressed up. He's got a really nice looking suit and mm -hmm. definitely more of a uh, old fashioned storyteller. I'm gonna tell you a story, this kind of thing. And, you know, um, seemingly very aristocratic or higher class in terms of how mm -hmm. he's dressing and how he's talking and how he's conversing and, what have you and you know um but i prefer chris sullivan because how he dressed was very much like almost like a a, uh, a runway train bumpkin like one of those old-fashioned yeah. movies where he has the vest yeah. this kind of suit but he's got the chain the hat and the gloves to me that's that is so cool how <laughs> he does that and he sings it so well because he's to me he um there's a roughness and there's uh there's an aged ability, you know, obviously Andre is aged. So he has the experience of being an actor for, you know, 60 years behind him to be able to put in his character. And again, why he got, probably got the Tony. But for me, Chris Sullivan has this kind of like wayward kind of, um, I've been around, I've seen a lot. Um, I'm probably an alcoholic, but I'm, and, and I'm, t and I'm telling you. There's a lot of alcohol in the show. Yeah, that's <laughs> <Granted>. true. <laughs> um, well, Persephone is 
Hannon, uh, alcoholic. Yes. So, like, it, that's her coping mechanism for. Yeah, but, and but to me, she celebrates when she gets yeah. away. <laughs> right, but to me, Chris Elvin kind of portrays that, and maybe again, it's it's because to me, little minor thing, it's billed as a folk rock opera or a folk opera. And to me, New Orleans music is not folk rock. It's New Orleans music. It's, it's yes. Mardi Gras music. It's, it's, you know, so, and I know when we were initially talking, you and, you and I, Jackie, that um, there was a kind of wonder, what is this folk rock I'm, I'm talking about? Like, how do you define it? And it's more of just like stripped down minimalist guitaring, minimal, well, not minimalist instruments and not a whole orchestra playing a lush score, very bare bones, maybe a kind of an off key here and there, but done very properly and very um, specifically based on the characters and what have you. Um, there isn't really an orchestra for this. Um, the musicians are actually true. on the stage, I think I told you. Um, and Amber Gray as Persephone, she actually uh, breaks the fourth wall to introduce each of them uh, yeah. at the beginning of the second act when she's she sings Our Lady of the Underground, which is basically she's singing to the workers. Um, and also, it's <laughs> I've read about how like the trombonist uh, has like this opportunity in way down Hades Town, where like there's a lot of room for improvisation, and just the musicians can be like part of the action, basically, for yeah. uh, some of the story, at least, which is unusual and interesting. Yeah, I was listening to um, the director, Rachel, and Anais talking about it, and within a lot of the songs, there's a lot of room for improvisation, wherein Road, Road to Hell itself, they said it's a vamp, and it's literally just the, tru the, 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 tr the trumpetist. And so the vamp, how they did it, how the uh, Road to Hell was conceived, which was in the New York Theater Workshop, was this vamp. And so Chris Sullivan had the ability to just to kind of um, start when he felt like he wanted to start, riff in between and, you know, kind of have a loose kind of feeling. It's a little bit more um, charted and nailed down in the Broadway version, as it should be, because it's a, it's a full Broadway stage. You're in the, um, I think it's the Walter Kerr. Um, I can't remember which theater it's in, but if you're in a Broadway theater, the show starts at eight. The show's going to start at eight with music, musicality, and we're going to be on time and all that kind of stuff. Um, but again, maybe that's my folk rock background coming in. Um, but like I said, you know, there, there are parts of the Broadway um, cast recording and what I've heard that I really like, and I really do enjoy. And they, and the, what they do with the orchestrations makes more sense in the Broadway version than it does in the New York Theater Workshop, which of course, and as you said, the lyrics, the symbolism in the lyrics, um, the way things rise and fall, the, um, you know, the references versus the not references. Um, actually, there was a reference. Do you want to say the reference that you found while listening, <laughs> listening to it, Jackie? So, I realized that there are multiple possible references to Les Miserables. Mm. And I know that because that's also one of my favorite musicals. Um, there are a couple songs that seem like very similar in what they're saying. Um, 
in Les Mis, there's a song called Turning. Um, that's very similar to Nothing Changes in Hadestown. Uh, it's a very cynical uh, like assessment of the world and how it works. Uh, basically saying like, well, actually in Turning, they say nothing changes, nothing ever can. Um, the song that you love, Matt, Flowers, mm. um, Town, that's very similar to I Dreamed a Dream. Yes, um, I would even, even uh, I wasn't sure whether to talk about this with you, uh, but I see Lucy's uh, journey in the story as very similar to uh, a typical story of a vulnerable girl or woman being lured into sex trafficking. Um, yes. I don't yes. know if you pick that up or if people in general pick that up. Um, yeah. I learned a bit about it when I was doing an internship. It, that's another story, but um, yeah. it's uh, the way Hades comes to her saying like, oh, you poor thing, you're down on your luck. Do you want to come work for me? Uh, you'll get food, you'll have shelter, uh, you, you'll have money, um, it's better it'll be better than your situation here, but then it becomes a kind of metaphorical death. It's, uh, and so that's also like Fontaine's journey in Les Miserables. Yeah. Uh, like, don't they know they're making love to one already dead? Yeah, this, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with you in terms of that. Um, that was in my notes for, for later, but we can talk about it now that Hades himself seems, and I know it's probably not done this way on purpose, it's probably just the way they wrote the character, that it, the, the character was influenced to do certain things, and that then later in the world, people are doing the same thing, so history repeats itself, even Greek mythology repeats itself. But Hades definitely seems very much a kind of, he's a couple things. Obviously, he's, he's, he's pure evil, he's a villain, you know. That's, I don't, oh, not exactly. And he's not a pure villain in mythology either. Um, I mean, he gets kind of a bad rap because, well, he's a villain in Disney's Hercules. And I think most, yeah. of, most, yeah. most of what they know about him comes from that movie. <laughs> That's but, mostly what I know. <laughs> and well, whether he's a bad guy in the myth of him and Persephone kind of varies depending on which version. Like in some, it's just a straight up kidnapping and uh, non-consensual situation in others like in this version it's more of a romance like they did fall in love uh, and then they have a weird relationship um and i think he is the antagonist of the story because he's working against the protagonist or but i feel like he can't be just like picked down as a total villain he actually he's very nuanced and he, he has like motives and intentions and like yeah. and concerns yeah. yeah, the the version I wrote of Persephone and Hades, um, he was more of a it was it teetered on that border and it's probably why I don't like it. It's it so for those who are who are following, um the play will actually be in my collection of plays that will eventually come out at some point. I'm still waiting for my wife to finish editing it, but um, I am re releasing a book of my one act plays, um, hopefully in a couple months. Um, 
but it's in it's going to be it is it's going to be in there and it's one of those chapters of don't let this happen to you because i wrote it right at the beginning of me too and the what was happening in the world and i i inadvertently wrote it where he did kidnap her she was kind of the popular girl and he was kind of the nerd and so you kind of ended up feeling sorry for Hades but in a, but now as I read it in a very uncomfortable way and it ends up being a kind of Stockholm syndrome kind of kind of situation and you know not mm -hmm. one of my better not one of my better plays you know me being uh, a uh, feminist myself so I you know it's one of those things I almost didn't put it in the collection but I figure people can learn from my mistakes but um what I was getting at was also the fact that you are right that he, um, you know, he kidnaps her. Um, uh, you know, it, you're right. So I was going to bring it up the fact that it very, it seems very much like sex trafficking. It, my thought was that he seems to be inspired or have parallel with two different people in the world. One of them is Jeffrey Epstein with, you know, mm getting all having being wealthy getting all this money and you know luring um the girl of hopes of work and what have you but not realizing what she's giving up to do it and then not because there's a song called why we build the wall but there's a there seems to be a lot <laughs> of parallels with um president trump um, yes. in there as well specifically the fact that he owns everything i mean they say it in the lyrics he's bought things he owns pretty much everything and what's interesting is when we finally do see hades and persephone in the same scene and they're conversing he seemingly is thinks that she should be impressed with all that he's got and all that he's yes. building and she's like i don't care i don't care about any or seemingly doesn't care about any of this but again she's drunk most of the time well it's actually not that she doesn't care i think it's more that she's kind of repulsed by it because hmm. she is an element in nature and he is kind of ruining the environment with yeah. factories and boundaries and uh drilling for oil and the, he's building up these industries partly because like he misses her and it's something for him to throw himself into when she's away um, yeah. and wants to impress her and then it has the opposite effect. Right and that's and I think that's what I mean so that it's like you know the and again it's parallels I can know for a fact because Anais has said this that she didn't intend it to be President Trump or Jeffrey Epstein, it's just the way life works in society and things happen. But it, you can see the archetypes of, you know, the, the wealthy people who are like more and more and more building things up and then having the workers. And also he talks about how keep the workers working kind of so they don't, mm -hmm. they don't rise up against him or they don't think of it. And then he gets worried because the workers are now listening to, um, you know what the young boy has to say and is like you know oh this is this is not good for everyone and mm -hmm. seeing his empire fall and all that so you know there's a lot of similarities of different things going in like you said before there's a lot to do with um revolution and and various mm -hmm. things like that as it goes on in the show um 
And I, you know, I like that. I, I like all that mm-hmm. stuff. And I think that's why the other thing too, cause I, you know, we talk about, I was going to say this, we talk about solving a musical problem. This show <laughs> with the Broadway version, again, whatever I think about it, it is solving a musical problem in the sense that when the show begins, you're hearing music and you're hearing things that are different to your ear. And it's, that's the point because it's bringing you into this world and there's reasons why there's music. It's not just because, you know, he wants to write a song to bring back spring, but there's reasons that all these characters have to sing. And that was very good of uh, Anais to figure out before she even started of like, why should I do this show and why should it be a musical? It, it has to be musical because mm-hmm. the emotions are so elevated. Everything is so important and the stakes are high because we're talking about the seasons being all out of whack and we need to have the seasons return. Um, and I think I, I do, like you, relate to the writer of him, of the fact that he, okay, I'm going to write this song. Again, there's also some similarities and I noted them down, but we don't have to really go into them. There are some similar similarities to Rent also with this show. You know, you can see Anais really took from Les Mis and even Rent, even with so much that he wants to write this song. He's going to write the song and everything's going to be better and everything's going to be good and um, <laughs> what have you. And it's a theme. That all it is, he, the, the song that he starts to sing and says, this is the song I'm working on. And it's a theme that builds throughout the entire evening. And it's what, um, uh, uh, and it's amazing. So there's, but I can relate to him in the sense of writing a song and forgetting about all the practical things mm-hmm. of like, well, I need food. Well, I'm, I'm writing a song, you know, oh, we need shelter, but I'm writing a song. Don't you, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing my great work here. Um, so there's all that. So you can relate to that. And, you know, the fact that Hermes, not to give anything away, but at the very end, what he says about him, that he want, he had a gift can't get the lyrics right, but he, he, could, had, he could make you see how the world could be in spite of the way that it is. But it is, yes. Yeah, that is beautiful. He's kind of like the, like in romanticism, the idea of the poet as a prophet. Yeah. Um, which is a, an image that I absolutely love and believe in. Um, and yeah, he, Orpheus inspires people. Um, yeah. And I think he's kind of like, I, I think a lot of artists, uh, can relate to him. And yeah, we think that, that we have this idea that will change the world and like make things right again. And it's, <laughs> it's idealistic and it, it may be naive, but it also has an impact to some degree. Like art is a powerful medium for, if not affecting social change, then at least like making people question things and inspiring people to kind of build a different kind of culture. Yeah, and I and and that's a great thing for an artist to have in an un um, pompous, uh, presumptuous way. Mm-hmm. You know, if I live my entire life, and if my legacy ends up being that, at the end of my life, someone could say, "Well, he made us think about things in a different way than they than they really are." I think I would have done my job as a as an artist and a writer. Um, I think that's I think that's the dream of all artists that mm-hmm. we can even if we're showing you a mirror of what's happening in society, if we can just show an idealistic world and create, because art is basically creating 
art out of chaos, creating order out of chaos. Cosmos out of chaos, yes. Yeah. Um, if we can do that, even for just a second, and we can see what the world could be if, you know, we all smarten up, I think <laughs> we would have worked our job. And I know you as a, a writer and an artist probably have that same, it's idealism, it's optimism, but it's, it's why we all work to the next thing, why there's always a next thing, you know, why it's not just, you know, one song and we're done now we're we're done with our we're, we're continuously on a journey following to try to find that one great thing that we can mm -hmm. accomplish and achieve and then bring order to to the world which you know unfortunately won't happen but we can always try <laughs> mm -hmm. um what were you going to say i'm sorry yeah it's one version of the lyrics is that it's a story about someone who tried and that's yeah. important, even if, like, whether or not he is ultimately successful. And he does succeed in some ways, but he fails in others because his priorities, his goals change a bit over the course of the story. Um, there's also an interesting examination of, like, uh, Hermes talks about like, the fact that they are telling this story, even though it's such an old story and it's already been told so many times reason we come we keep coming back to it um almost as if it might turn out differently uh this time um and i think we do like i think with each iteration of a story it can change depending on who is telling it and who the audience is and what message you're trying to draw out of it yeah i'm finding I, that now with a different writing project based on a different greek myth that i'm realizing like this is what it was trying to say back then, but what does it say now in the context of our society? Yeah. Um, and it's definitely a very good um, example of history repeats itself. Art will repeat itself. It's, you know, an old story told in a new way. And you're right in the hopes that things will be different, not to give the, the ending away, but um, that, things will be different. People will make different choices. And I think that's the epitome of art. I know there are some cynical people out there who would say, well, doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for a better um, outcome or a different outcome is the definition of insanity. And if I am declared insane as a writer, then so be it. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think all artists are a tiny bit crazy, at least. Somewhere you have to. <laughs> I think you'd have to to be to work in yeah. this, to work in the industry we work in to try to do what we do, um, um, but it's it, it's a nice optimistic view of 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 the world. Even though, yeah, it's it is a tragedy at the end. We're not going to give anything away by saying it's a tragedy. They say it in the first lines that it's a tragedy, but it's so and it seems it's so. Um, it's one of the shows that does it so well that it's very circular and not just because the finale is the same song as the last. It changed. It's a different song and it's a different view. And, you know, they talk about, we're, you know, we tell the story over and over again, but there's a reason we're going to tell the story and, and you don't find out really why until the very, very end. And those are the great stories that you, that you want to follow and want to listen to. Mm -hmm. um, um, so I, no matter how much I'll complain or 
disagree with people about the Broadway version. I do like the show. I really do like the show. And um, delving deep into it, it definitely holds a lot of value to me as a writer and things that we should strive to. And the fact that, um, um, you know, she, the writer, you got to believe she started writing at 17. She wrote her first musical. She's, she has two kids now, I believe now. Um, and she's doing all this. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about um, the Lin-Manuel Miranda's of the world, which is great, you know, to have that kind of inclusivity. And, but also to have, you know, that she can inspire more women to step up to the plate and write full shows like this. You know, it doesn't have to just be Lin-Manuel or Jason Robert Brown. We can have women standing up with them and coming from different uh, um, perspectives and different styles to bring something just as good. And, you know, and you brought something up and I want people to be able to um, look at this. So uh, what did you find today that is just as amazing? So apparently just yesterday, I think, um, yes. released their uh, hundred most influential people of the year. And Anais Mitchell is one of them. And, I mean, and she uh, should be, yeah. Yeah, uh, Andre DeShields wrote the little article about her. Um, you can find it online. And yeah, I think she deserves it. Yeah, it's very beautiful. And it, they should, I think personally, there should be more women writers like her, not just songwriters, you know, like Sarah Bareilles or something like that, but write, she wrote the whole show in development with Rachel and she wrote the whole show herself, book, music, and lyrics, you know, that's an accomplishment right there. And it shouldn't be a surprise to me that, you know, a whole woman wrote a whole show. This should be a, a regular thing. Like, oh, another woman just wrote enough. This should be a, a regular thing and more women should step up, need to step up the plate and show. Because I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of women writers who can do this, write a whole show like a David Mallory or anything. But at the same time, they're not given the opportunities to do it. And I think they should be because they, you know, I think some of these songs are even better than some of them in Hamilton. Yeah, I said it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're different. I, I shouldn't you know, say that. They're different. They're very different. <laughs> there is one possible Hamilton reference in Hades Town. Do you know yes, what it is? I don't, I don't, I wrote it down, but I, I lost my notes. So go ahead. Tell me what, what it is. Um, at one point, uh, Hermes answers a question about like, is the song finished? And he says, not yet. And it's, <laughs> it's like George Washington in yeah. York not, Town. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> really mean freedom? Not yet. <laughs> and it's almost the same question, actually, because that song is supposed to set them all free. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. No, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> so, um, all right. So getting into it, like I said, it was critically acclaimed. Um, it was nominated for, hold on one second, one, two, It was nominated for 13 Tony Awards at the 2019 uh, uh, Tony Awards, the 73rd um, Award Ceremony. The musicals it was up against, and I'm going to read them to you, and it's probably why I missed this. 
The musicals were Ain't Too Proud, which was, a, um, I believe it was a biopic about The Temptations. Uh, Beetlejuice, uh, written by Scott Brown, Anthony King, and uh, Eddie Perfect. Uh, the Prom, which was written by um, uh, Chad, Chad Beglin, Bob Martin, and uh, Matthew Scalar. And Tootsie, written by Bob, uh, Robert Horn, and one of my favorite comedy composers, David Yazbek. Um, so it was up against some tough competition, but we should say it won Best Musical. So it is the best musical. And it's one of the few times I will say, now looking at all the different shows, and I wouldn't say comparing them, but looking at them in such a way, um, it's probably one of the only musicals I can think about, or I can think now, I think actually deserves it over, over, the, over the other shows. Um, you know, all of them have their good things and bad things, but you know, sometimes, you know, one show, <laughs> overtakes it and uh, Anais won for best score um, Rachel won for best direction and then the other not, uh, wins it won, Andre DeShield won for best featured actor um, the scenic uh, the lighting the sound design all won and it was nominated for choreography best, uh, second best featured actor obviously for Patrick Page best featured actress for Amanda uh, Gray and then best lead actress in, in uh, um, Eva. Um, so um, so it, it had a lot going for it in terms of the nominations. Um, I do remember it winning a lot and not really knowing <laughs> what it was about. And like I said, seeing um, Wait For Me on the Broadway, I wasn't impressed, which was sad because I should have been, but I just don't like Reeve Carney. I think he's a terrible he's terrible but that's just me <laughs> um but it also did win for best grammy it won a grammy for best uh musical theater album um so it it, it has picked up a little bit um at the time of this recording right now it was shut down for um covid19 um but they did announce that they that Hayestown would be would begin a national tour um, now, obviously, right now, it's going to be a question on when that national tour is going to actually um, happen, obviously, with COVID concerns and what have you, but it will be a national tour. And I would be very interested. There's, not, there's no reports, and I didn't, couldn't find anything because you know me, and I like to look for these. Um, there were no reports as of right now of any kind of film version being in the works. But I think that would be cool. I would, I would totally see mm -hmm. that. Um, you know, and if and when it comes to be able to be licensed by other, by um, local theaters, um, I, if I'm still on the board at the theater company of Sargas, I will pu push it, but I will push it in, in the way, if I get to direct it, the way I want to direct it. <laughs> <laughs> I would do it in the pub style kind mm -hmm. of, smaller scale stripped down version um, versus the overblown Broadway thing. Um, people might hate me for that, but that's what I would do. But then again, I might not get uh, hired to direct that. Um, no. I think that would be a cool way to do it. Um, yeah. You see it being like an immersive production where yeah. you think you're in this bar um, and people are telling this story mm -hmm. you, or you're watching it unfold in that environment yeah. um, it'd be really fun 
and um, and Jack and I have already talked about it, but I'm unfortunately way too old to play Orpheus. So um, <laughs> if I ever got around to playing any of the roles, it would definitely be either Hermes or Hades. Those would be my two top um, choices. <laughs> but Hermes, if I can s sing it similar to Chris Sullivan. If not, then I can I can easily do Songbird as <laughs> as Patrick Page. I can get that low. <laughs> Um, um, any casting thoughts oh, for I yourself? <laughs> yeah, um, I would, this might sound weird, but I would love to be either, uh, like maybe, see, but not necessarily. Um, I actually might prefer uh, Orpheus, maybe in a gender swapped version. Yeah. Um, I love his song. And I've also had a lot of fun singing Hermes' songs. Um, and I think that I could do like, a sort of different take with the character, like maybe a bit more motherly than, uh, but also, and like sort of like a, or maybe like a fun aunt type yeah. of person. Um, I wanted to say this with you. Um, this reminds me of the character Pomponius or Pomponia in the Diary of Perpetua. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have uh, like trained for that role that's the person who uh is passing on the story and ha gives the prologue and the epilogue but it's also a character in the uh plot unfolding yeah. and get that same sense with the road to hell and it's reprise uh they're explaining this is what the song is like uh this is how like why we're passing it down um mm. it's very important to us and this is what we what it's about and what we hope you learn from it yeah. and why can, you should look up the individual that it's about. Yeah, I can see you as that, either one of those parts. Um, um, slightly off topic, I'd love to see you as uh, Secundalus uh, <laughs> in Perpetua, maybe only because then I, I still get to play as Turnus, so I get to be your best yes. friend. Yeah, so, oh, that'd be uh, so fun. That'd, that'd be fun, <laughs> that'd be cool, that'd be fun. And um, I, can, I get to tell you off as Pomponius too. <laughs> You do that in real life. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, no, I guess I kind of do that. Pomponia <laughs> is basically me as a Sunday school teacher. Um, <laughs> we're getting too off topic. <laughs> no, no, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. I, I, I've mentioned before that I'll get a little bit older and uh, Jasmine will get really excited because she wants to train me as the father so she finally has a father as a, mm -hmm. instead of mm -hmm. mother so <laughs> i said let me get a little bit older and then you know <laughs> maybe if i'm still with y'all in, in my 40s or mid 40s then i'll 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 train for that one so but anyway mm -hmm. um that'd be fun but yeah <laughs> it'd be really fun yeah. um okay so any last thoughts anything we haven't talked about anything you want to continue to say about Town, about the cast, about the songs, about, you know, anything, anything to, to kind of wrap everything up here. Um, just one theme that I don't think we talked much about. Sure. Um, a, bit, a huge theme of Town is solidarity. Um, oh, you yeah. see that both in the uh, relationship between Orpheus and Eurydice, but also in the larger community that they end up becoming a part of in Hades Town. Um, uh, it's about like how we're stronger when we are shoulder to shoulder uh, helping each other and looking out for each other. Um, and what causes the tragedy at the end is actually the fact that 
the characters are prevented from walking alongside each other like they said they would. Uh, they are forced to be slightly off. Uh, and it's a powerful metaphor, um, like for society and the, like, like kind of the power of the people kind of idea and why it's a, uh, has this theme of revolution, um, but it's really about how uh, we need each other and um, yeah, there's strength in numbers and we have a responsibility for each other. Yeah, and I like those things too. There was a, someone said, um, and it was more to do with um, the classic idea of the Jewish community in the sense of bullies are in the world so that you can collectively punch them in the face. Um, it, it was, it was not, it was not a secular thing. I will say that. I heard that from, uh, uh, someone a long time ago, but it's the idea that of collective community being together and the idea that the community is bigger and will take care of everyone better than one single person. And I, and, and that definitely has, um, some influence with, with the show, like you said. And, and I, I, I like that too. And the fact, you know, there's a lot of parallels with the real world with this particular show. And I think some of it is done on purpose. Some of it is done because that's how these stories have been told and told and told, and they're just reflecting society and what things are happening right now. And, you know, I mean, we talked about it in the last time, but you see, people against people and we can't seem to get it right. You know, it was one thing a long time ago where we just disagreed and we agreed to disagree, but now it seems more like out and out civil war building. And it's, you know, it's again, probably again, why these stories keep being told that if we could just get it together and, and put differences aside and look at the collective good versus the collective versus our own, you know, individual needs, then it would probably be work out better in the long run for all of us. So, um, but it's, so <laughs> I will say it publicly because I said it to Jackie too. She officially got me into the show. Um, I, yes! was, <laughs> I was, I was not into the show at all before I started doing this. And then the deep dives and symbolism and looking into the themes and what have you i'm like oh dang it i like this show <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> i will i will say it's not one of the it's not the first time that someone has <laughs> metaphorically twisted my arm to like a show but it, um jackie did it in, in a nicer way than was done in the past and in the past i mean like in middle school or high school when i was someone was like you have to like the show put it you know duh. you know so jackie did it in a much nicer way and um appealed to the artist in me so i was like oh you knew what you were doing <laughs> yeah so um but uh, again thank you so much jackie for coming on the show yet again um i think yeah <laughs> i think i'll say it. jackie is going to be a recurring guest um because she has a lot of different things coming up and a lot of um suggestions and i'm not saying that 
you out there listening to these will be able to come onto the show if you have your suggestions. Jackie's allowed to because we're friends and, and I've known her for, you know, a good year and a half, two years. So, you know, and we can talk about these things. So, you know, I'm not going to just let anyone on, but you can send me your suggestions for shows um, through the email, um, uh, matthew.garland at gmail.com. Um, or I think on Anchor, there's a way to message me so you can send me a message. Um, I do see that there was a quote unquote subscriber on um, Anchor. And I don't know if it's who I think it is, but if it is, um, it's a mutual friend of Jackie and I, uh, uh, Maya from Still Small Theater. I got a notice saying that she subscribed to the podcast. So if it's not Maya, then thank you for subscribing. If it is Maya, I miss you. And I, I can't wait to see you when we're finally able to uh, uh, see each other again for still small rehearsals, um, which would be really awesome. Um, but I do know uh, there is a fan base and people are, are watching um, or listening rather. Um, but you can send your requests. Um, I, I say this to Jackie all the time, don't ever be afraid to send me requests. It's not that like I have a plan like, oh, next episode's gonna be such and such. Now granted, I actually do know what the next episode is because um, it was one that Jackie suggested for uh, another mutual friend of, of mine and ours to talk about, which will be, uh, I think next week, I think we decide, but uh, um, maybe. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not giving it away, I'm not giving it away, <laughs> just in case it doesn't happen, but it'll probably, it, it'll, probably gonna happen um, um but you can send me your requests um if you want a particular movie a particular musical a particular album that you'd like me to um talk about don't be afraid send me a thing and um i have a backlog right now so i'll get to all of them um as i state every time jackie's here we will talk about star wars i promise jackie and i are probably the two biggest star wars people and we have literally looked at the symbolism uh, before we started recording, Jackie was talking about reading, uh, or on, on record you talked about uh, Joseph Campbell and, and what have you. So she has the background of that. I have everything I know of Star Wars um, since I was like five. So um, um, she will be back for Star Wars. Um, couple of the other suggestions she, she said, she'll probably be back for particularly um, I'll say it, the Prince of, uh, Prince of Egypt, we will talk about at some point, and uh, the, Prince of, the Princess Bride, which I can't think of anyone better to talk about The Princess Bride than my friend Jackie here, because um, I love Aww. that. I, no, I love that movie. I That's, really love that. So many of our friends love it. <laughs> I, well, I feel like I talk, I've talked to, that, to you about it more than I've talked to other people. I know I, other people do like it, but, um, you know, I, for some reason that... <laughs> I know Amelia likes it, but I've never talked to Amelia about The Princess Bride. I've always talked to you about it, so that's... <laughs> I was talking with Jasmine and Eli about it not too long ago. Uh, quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I'd, um, like, I'd, I'd love to do it maybe at, like, I think the um, anniversary of either Andre the Giant or, um, or uh, Peter Falk is coming up, so I'm going to take a look at that, but that would be maybe, maybe... Since Jackie and I's episode seemed to be in correlation with some event connected to the episode we might as well continue on that uh brown but there are other episodes coming up um so i have a the final play reading of one of my original plays will be happening this sunday at two o'clock 
um, live on Zoom, and then it will come up on the podcast channel uh, probably a day or two afterwards. It's called Just Get Over It. It's about a uh, broken up couple who was stuck in a hotel together during a big storm where they basically yell and hash out their entire relationship in the matter of 90 minutes. Um, so it's very, it's very funny. It's very dramatic and it's very volatile, which for those who know me, I'm basically all three of those things. So, um, so that's happening this coming Sunday at two o'clock. Um, I have a big announcement coming up. I'm not going to say what it is yet, but it is coming up. Um, but if you do enjoy my stuff, um, I am selling merch. Um, there are four plays. There's going to be a fifth play coming up, but um, are currently on Amazon for you to purchase. No, three. What am I talking about? Three plays. Um, Woods, Current Call, and, um, and the Oscar goes to. They're available in paperback, Kindle, and large print if you want. Uh, the Kindle is seven bucks and the paperback and the large print are 10 bucks um, each. So you are able to still purchase those. Um, please support me. I have a 10 month old son and I need money. Please help me. So, um, but other than that, uh, I really, again, want to thank Jackie for coming on to this episode. It was her idea. Um, I think it's the first time, is it the first time you've come on that it was your, no, come away, come from away was your idea. <laughs> yeah, and Newsies, I suggested and, yeah. that. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me and for letting this be the topic. Um, and for giving Town another, I'm really glad. <laughs> it's, it, I, I will say it was worth it. It was very much worth it to be able to listen to it for the last couple of, uh, 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 last week or so. Um, I can't get it out of my head now, so it's there. Um, and I did record a, a karaoke version, which is on my SoundCloud, which Jackie has heard. Um, don't tell me if it's really terrible. Um, other people will tell me later. But, um, so, but uh, again, thank you, Jackie, for coming on to the show. Uh, always great to talk to you about about musicals and, and, and the such. So um, Thanks. thank you so much. And thank you all. For listening um i can't wait to have the next episode and so until then please stay safe continue social distancing and wearing masks and please take care of yourselves and your friends and we'll see you next time when you're looking to plan your next disney world disneyland or disney cruise line vacation we suggest you reach out to danielle elliott at marvelous mouse travels danielle is a long a lifelong Disney enthusiast, a former Walt Disney World cast member, and a graduate of the College of Disney Knowledge. When you book with her, your booking includes 100% free concierge level services, uh, some of which include customizing the perfect Disney vacation package for your, you and your family and your budget, uh, booking those difficult to secure fast passes and dining reservations, uh, providing tips and tricks to get out the most of your vacation, and more. Uh, Danielle also monitors Disney promotions to help you save money for those uh, Disney trip veterans still be in control of all the details. Danielle will take care of all your needs so you can have all the fun and truly say akuna Matata throughout your time at Disney. Contact her for your free quote at danielle.elliot at marvelousmousetravels, one word, dot com, or by messenger, messen, messaging her on her Facebook page.
It's an old song. It's an old tale from way back when. It's an old song. And that's how it ends. That's how it goes. Don't ask why, brother, don't ask how. He could have come so close. The song was written long ago. And that's how it goes. It's a sad song. It's a sad tale. It's a tragedy. It's a sad song. But we sing it anyway cause here's the thing to know how it ends and still begin to sing it again as if it might turn out this time I learned that from a friend of mine See, Orpheus was a poor boy. But he had a gift to give. He could make you see how the world could be. In spite of the way it is. Can you see it? Can you hear it? Can you feel it like a train? Is it coming? Is it coming this way? On a sunny day, there was a railroad car. And a lady stepping off the train. Everybody looked and everybody saw that spring had come again with a love song. With a tale of love from long ago, it's a sad song. But we keep singing even so, it's an old song. It's a whole tale from way back when, we're gonna sing it again and again and again. We're gonna sing, we're gonna sing It's a love song It's a tale of love from long ago It's a sad song it's, We keep singing even so, even so It's a love
old song It's an old tale, it's an old tale We're gonna sing, we're gonna sing again and again We're gonna sing it again and again We're gonna sing it We're gonna sing it again